Welcome to Transformation Talks. My name is David Lancefield. I'm here to explore the topic of transformation through the lens of a diverse group of people who've driven, lived through, or studied transformation in their own ways. By transformation, I mean moving from being a laggard to a leader, from analog to digital, or from behind to bold. And my hope in these podcast series is that we give you some ideas, some research and experience to help you develop better strategies, more effective leadership and healthier cultures in your organisation. I'm delighted to welcome Jacqueline de Rojas, a non-executive on the board of Rightmove, Costain and AO World, an advisor to fast tech startups and a business mentor with Merrick, a board advisor to Accelerate Her, and an advisor to Girl Guiding on how they can become more tech savvy. Jacqueline is the president of Tech UK, chair of the Digital Leaders Board, and co-chair of the Institute of Coding. And indeed, you were awarded a CBE for services to international trade and technology in the Queen's New Year's Honours List in 2018. Many congratulations. And what a great set of roles. I mean, we talked earlier about how, if you're trying to transform all those different organizations, all those different places, you sort of have to start with yourself, right? Perhaps you can just tell me a little bit more about that. I strongly believe that if you set out to change the world, make a difference, whatever you label it as, the only person you can really change is yourself. And I've done a lot of work in that area. Mm. A lot of self-reflection, a lot of work in terms of being present, being in the moment. I think in a fast-moving technology industry, it is super tempting to be in the future. Yes, yes. Yeah. How, have you ta how have you tackled that, both yourself and with the, with the individuals you interact with? Because all your different roles, you've got a range of people who probably want to be not only in the future, but now, 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 push, 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 very ambitious. How have you, if you like, kept a handle on who you are with all those different pressures on you and the environments you work in? I'm really good at working to deadlines, just saying. Uh, <laughs> Note to self. <laughs> and the way I handle it personally is I spend a lot of time in yoga and meditation. Mm. My husband, conveniently, mm. happens to be a yoga and meditation teacher. He teaches special needs children. Um, the art of yoga and relaxation, really, and taking control of something as simple as their breathing. Mm. And when you go down to something as important, as natural and fundamental as breathing, that's where you start to get pretty basic about what's important in life. Mm. It grounds mm. you. It does, it does. And how, do you, how have you tried to, as you're in your advisory or mentoring roles with people who perhaps are headstrong, uh, driven, ambitious, uh, challenging in terms of their styles? And you talk openly about some of your styles earlier in, the, earlier in your, your, your career. Um, how do you coach them and support them in, in a way to be more grounded without losing the edge, the passion and drive? Because that's quite a difficult time. I am going to qualify all of this by saying it's so much easier when you're 55 right. looking backwards mm. than perhaps it would be 25 looking forwards. And I think that's a, a degree of confidence yes. in terms of how you'd handle yourself in the workplace. Mm. Um, I often, when I'm coaching or mentoring people, I often start with a short meditation 
Oh, fascinating. To still the mind. How does that go down? Is that a shock? Is it something you enjoy? Depends who it is. Mm. Um, I would often position it as an opportunity to create space to be amazing. Mm. And I think when it turns into something for them, then it changes and reframes what you're doing rather than some crazy, let's sit on a mountain and think big thoughts. Yes, yes. Which, by the way, is not a bad thing to do either. No, 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 absolutely. Create space for amazing things. How do you take that sort of concept and idea and apply it to perhaps an organisation, say, on a, on, a, on a board, whether it's a start-up or a traditional organisation? Because the days are busy, the agendas are full, and I think most people, if you talk to them about these practices, this, of course, but they do it in their personal time, and they don't often do it in their work time. Um, so how do you try and, in your roles, how do you try and create that space? Gosh, there's so many, so many ways in which I want to answer that question. The first one is having a diverse board helps mm. because you have different influences around the table. So having a diverse group around the table matters and makes a difference yes. to a better outcome. So I think that's where I would start. The second one, though, is I met the Dalai Lama once, wow. and he told me to go and meet a man called Jeffrey. And Jeffrey is an ex-UN hostage negotiator. And he was running a workshop called Nonviolent Communication in the workplace. And I thought, gosh, I really need to understand what that means. And it was so fascinating. He started his workshop by saying, I was in Afghanistan and I came out of my tent one morning and I was confronted by my guide who, had, who was being held hostage by a terrorist with a Kalashnikov to his head. And he said, when all you've got are your words, you tend to choose them rather carefully. And that starts the journey on nonviolent communication. So I then found myself on a 10-day course in Montpellier in France at the Peace Factory learning about nonviolent communication. It was incredibly intense. It was all about how to meet everyone's needs around the boardroom table without offering compromise. Wow. And that's right. A real skill. And I love that. I mm. think that's just so inspiring. And w the bottom line for those of you who will not go and do this course, mm. but the bottom line is that as human beings, we have something like 10 fundamental needs. The top two, though, are about being heard. Yes, indeed. And the second one is about being significant. And sometimes around the boardroom, all you, know, all you need to do is to make sure you really listen with intention. And that's what I tend to do in meetings. I tend, this goes back to the idea that being fully present matters. Yes. And when you're asking a question and really getting to grips with what's being said, the person feels heard. Yes. There may not be anything else that they need other than that. Mm. And it may also feed their need to be significant. Significant meaning? That you have acknowledged that they have something to say. Right. That they have a role to play in the group. Mm. 
it might just be that you've acknowledged that they are there. We, and, and also it's about giving clear instructions, which in leadership we are quite poor at. For example, sell more. I don't actually know what that means anymore, but we say it to small children as well, get a grip. And when you're the child receiving that instruction, that's a ridiculous idea when you think about it. Giving a child an instruction to get a grip, how do you even do that? What does that mean? I'm not looking to name a particular name, but when you're on different boards, that, that degree of listening, appreciation, and uh, giving people the sense of significance does require others to at least have a, not necessarily similar mindset, but, but do the same. Because I've, I've experienced various boards and exec teams where there are people who are do these things, but it requires somebody else to realise the skill in doing that, as opposed to saying, well, they're not quite engaged, or they're not leaning forward, or they're not shouting with bravado. How have you, I guess, when you've been in situations where not everybody, if you like, gets it, convinced them of the, if you like, the benefits of the art, if you like, of doing that? Firstly, I choose boards that I love. So you choose well. So yeah. I think leading a choiceful life is important. I love that phrase, choiceful life. Yeah. So yeah. I would not go onto a board where I thought there's a huge misalignment in the people or style. That doesn't mean to say that influence isn't important, but I wonder whether you can think of a time when you really connected with someone in a way that you know you really connected. There's a lot of eye contact, there's a lot of alignment. What happens in that moment when you're really hearing or you're really listening is that you tend to match pace and you tend to mirror behavior. It's kind of infectious. Yes. Yeah. And as someone in a boardroom who's quite clear about her views, I find that that works enormously. I, I've studied a lot on neuro-linguistic programming and how to move agendas through language and suggestion and I find all of that comes into play in the boardroom. Especially when there is intention. Intention matters. I think if you're half listening in a meeting, you're half on your phone, half doing something else, your mind's wandered off and you're not in the moment, then I think it's really easy to create a chaotic scenario. Yeah, and you chaotic scenario, bad decisions, but you still have this sort of hero style of busyness, even though you're sleepwalking through your days and, and, and meetings. Um, and so just just sort of shifting a little bit then to your, there aren't many people actually, many executives who've worked you know, in both large organizations trying to reinvent themselves and startups, and then at the mix of startups with other organizations, universities and so forth. How do you bring together some of those organisations in your different roles to try and connect? I think it starts with what outcome are you shooting for? So I'm a big believer in solve problems that are really worth solving. And I'll give you an example, a technology example. So we had the tap and go card reader technology 14 years ago, but nobody used it. Today you can't, you hardly need to carry cash. And the reason it went viral was because two years ago they put it into the London Underground. And you don't have to break a stride when you go through the barriers anymore when you tap your credit card. 
on entry. But a year before that, we were thinking, I'm not waving my credit card around because some nutter is going to clone it. So there was this fear. However, convenience overtook risk because we actually solved a problem that was really worth solving. There was so much friction, so many queues. In some other tourists were in, you know, making the tube impossible to use. And now, who queues for a ticket? Who, break, you know, who hardly breaks a stride when they're going through the ticket barrier? And that's an example of solving a problem really worth solving and bringing small technology, so two millimeter difference in what we're doing and completely changing the world. Now, even as a nation of cures, which the UK is of course, <laughs> post rationing and the war, we in a Starbucks queue or wherever, coffee queue, we tap our feet and tut loudly when someone gets cash out or even dares to put their card in the machine. Yeah, it's an extraordinary switch. It's very quick. It's very quick. Mm. And so we can see big strides when we bring small pieces of technology teams together to large organizations to solve big problems. Mm. And that works all the time. When you have a startup yes. that is operating with a large company. Lots of companies have incubator mm. programs. Mm. And the reason they have them is because if they find a great idea, then they'll use it right across their global business. And that's an absolute win-win. You can teach the small scale-ups all the management skills that they absolutely don't have or rarely have. Mm. And you can incubate that great idea and mm. grow it at scale. Indeed. So how do you pick those those sort of those problems? Because after that, that's a, that's a brilliant story, and we can all all relate to it. But so how do you find those moments? Is it some people talk about creating the conditions when people, startups, larger organisations can talk and collaborate, and it just sort of emerges? Some people talk about leaders having the the wisdom to say, ah, right, there's a big friction. In your experience, how do you how do you find the problems? How do you pick them? I think listening to the market is really important. What is the customer saying? Mm. I'll give you another example. Mm. You're sitting in a restaurant, a pizza restaurant. You've had your pizza, you've had all the glowing, lovely service from the waiting staff. You're ready to go. You now, for love nor money, cannot get them to make any eye contact with you because you want your bill. Yeah. They're focused on the new people coming in. So you sit there, 10 more minutes, they eventually bring the bill because you've managed to catch their attention. And yet it takes another 10 minutes for them to bring the machine. And honestly, kill me now. That right there is a frustration in probably most lunchtime experiences. So recognizing the frustration is an enormous source of opportunity. And I think it's about being present. I think it's about being connected with what's going on. Yeah. And when you realize that there is a tiny app that you can install, mm. and on that app, you can put in your table number, pay your bill and go without doing anything else that you would need, you know, ordinarily have to do. That's an example of when small meets large, yeah. in terms of food chains, you can get this friction removed. But you're right, recognizing the friction 
is something we often just put up with a lot of things. And I think the best entrepreneurs are those that are really connected with what's going on. And often from their own uh, from their own experience or what they're, they're immersed themselves. So, it always begs the question when you have these examples, and I don't dismiss them at all. I think they're vivid. And clearly, um, um, I have. It takes me longer than ten minutes regularly to, to get. That's, that's about my presence sometimes in a different context. But you, 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 you listen to these examples and you think it's so obvious once you've heard it. Why is it that large companies lose sight of it? Because you listen to what they say, both inside and outside the organisation. They talk about being customer-centric, all those sorts of terms. But they lose sight of actually what matters. What, what gets in the way? Well, I think when you look at any organisation, though, you're going to have superstars and, and people who are just busy. Mm. And I think the superstars are those that are super connected. Mm. So there are, I think, in all organisations, people who get it. Yes but maybe others who are just so immersed in the process and busyness of their day that they miss that. And I would just suggest that it is around personally, if you want to change the world, being connected with your particular sphere of customer connection matters. That's very clear and very simple. Yeah, I really like that. You've talked a number of times about, if you like, create what I would call creating the conditions for great people to have their say, make an impact, and so on. And I know that's an area of passion for you in terms of inclusion in all forms, diversity in all forms as well. How, so how are we doing? Get, paint, paint us the picture from your, for the landscape you see. And, and if you had to wave a magic wand, and I hope it's more than a flippant magic wand, it's a real magic wand, what are the one or two things you'd really want to change? Well, I work in an industry that's moving at such pace that it's ungovernable. So, it's hard to regulate a business where we are creating pieces of tech in every single moment based on algorithms that for sure have bias in them. Because if our voices are at the table, we won't get the scenario where when the seatbelt was first invented, women and children died. Why? Because they were invented by men. And it's obvious that we have to create diverse teams in that design function. And to do better in that, to answer your question about how are we doing with diversity and technology, I think it depends which country, I think it depends which industry. Um, we certainly have a great opportunity to tell the story today. There are conditions created today where it is probably the best possible of all times for anybody of any diverse group to follow their dream, especially in technology. We are very welcoming, I believe. Now, having said that, I think we do a lot of things that sabotage our success. One of them is that we wall ourselves up against people coming into our industry by using three-letter acronyms all the time that are senseless to any other normal human. So the language again matters, yes. how we talk about our industry mm. and so that that's more inclusive. So, you know, software engineer could also be problem solver mm. and that might be more inclusive to women returners as an example Indeed. because Indeed. they are, you know, mothers who've gone on a maternity break or fathers actually as well, they are the saviors of the universe because they can multitask, problem solve every two seconds. Mm. And they're brilliant in that 
software engineering environment. Mm -hmm. So maybe the language is somewhere we need to go. Also the hiring teams, diversity the and the, themselves. the hiring yeah. teams themselves. Yeah. I, would, I would suggest they could be more diverse. Mm -hmm. Has to work through the whole, the whole picture, right? It does. You, you can't have a weak, a weak link. You can't, yeah. and you can't have a machine doing it with an algorithm that's biased. No, and lots that. of students and job applications are now run by a machine, and therefore an algorithm, and that has to be tested and retested. So we probably need something like a tribal elders group, which is not the government, but a group of tribal elders that helps us oversee. That we're doing the right thing. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? It's yeah. f this is this is about changing culture and changing the narrative. I, if you want to make seismic shifts, yeah. the narrative has to shift, and that narrative is that the more diverse a team is, the better business and human outcome you will achieve. I'm just reflecting on the fact that you, you will have in your roles. Worked with and worked with a whole range of different leaders looking to to create that culture, um, and some of them I know talking to other other leaders they 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 get the concept they get the so they know what they want to do in terms of the outcome, but they sometimes struggle with this. What's the first move, or what's the bold move beyond what I call the sort of the diversity program into something more substantive? In the leaders you worked with or experienced, what are the what are the things they've done well to sort of genuinely make a difference uh, in creating that culture? Because that that seeds the trans. If you're talking about transformation, that's that's the fuel that seeds the transformation that goes up through the organisation and beyond. Are there things you've seen and observed acts that they've they've mastered along the way? I think I think I start from the premise that we are all role models, whether we choose to be or not. So people watch us, watch our behaviour. And that doesn't matter whether you're a leader or anyone else in the organisation. You, your behaviours are watched, good or bad. Mm. And more, more than you think. More yeah. than you yeah. think. Yeah. And so when a leader walks out of the office at 3pm to pick up the kids from school, that's an acceptable behaviour, in my opinion. But one which in the past might not have been deemed to be doing the right thing because the harder you work, the better an employee you are in inverted commas. Indeed. So there is a question of cultural shift from how leaders behave as well. There's another thing. I was working in a company um, in the tech industry and one I, I asked one of the uh, team, why do you like working at this company? She said, I love working here because they allow me to manage my home life with my children as well as work. And I came, I came back as part time. And I noticed after about a month of working with her, I said, but actually you're putting in full-time hours. You're just not doing it here, but we're paying you part-time. She said, you know, it's great. I feel like I can go and do what I need to do. I don't mind working hard. And I said, I'm uncomfortable with that. So I'm going to shift you to full-time pay and flexible working. Would that, would that make a difference to you? And she just, she burst into tears, of course. But, that, that sort of leadership attention, yes. so attention to what's going on yeah. makes a difference. And actually that story... You do what's right and then people, yeah. people will watch. Exactly. And, and you're doing it because it's right rather than just for the sake of it. But 
that people will watch and other people in similar situations. Oh, actually, you're giving a little bit of permission to have a, a, a new conversation, which may be, actually, I'm working this way. Why am I not getting paid in, in that context? And you, and you, uh, you certainly engender a huge amount of loyalty mm. and productivity when you do things like that. I'm just thinking in terms of, uh, you've talked about in, in previous interviews sort of your challenging sort of childhood and background mm -hmm. and how that's inspired you, given you ambition, energy, drive and so on. Um, how, and I guess what it comes across, this is my words, Ron, you're sort of a growth mindset, you want to learn, develop, keep, keep going. How do you, beyond that, how do you, how do you sustain yourself as, as a leader? Because you're working with a whole range of organisations, you've achieved a lot, but you're also careful and choosy in terms of where you spend your time. How do, how do you sustain yourself in terms of knowing what the next challenge is? So the first thing I do is, is I've set my life up so that it works. So I'm a, I, I categorise it like when I walk through my door at home, I can be a small person. Right. And externally, I am a different person in one way. Although... I think as I've got older, that ability to be more vulnerable, openly, more authentic, mm. travels between home and work. And I wonder how much of a line there is between work and home anymore. I'm not sure. I feel that I sustain myself through learning. I'm currently on a coaching course. Me too. And it's really wonderful because it's all about them. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and it's sort of I find I've I don't know you I've I found it both exhilarating and a bit scary because you're sort of as they as one of our tutors said you know, I'm going to you know, strip you down because I'm I've been used to sort of hopefully not too much telling and actually you have to learn and make a fool of yourself yeah. you know which I regularly do. Yeah. But, but you do, you get a buzz, right? It's about asking world-class questions. Yes. You're now looking me in the eye very carefully as I'm now going through the last 20 minutes or so <laughs> and wondering whether I've actually got close, <laughs> close to that. But there, there you go. There you go. I have to say it's been a, an absolute privilege and pleasure speaking to Jacqueline and, and learning. And, and, we, and, and learning about how do you make conscious choices about yourself uh, how you think, how you feel, how you in a, in a sort of start, a sort of startup world, having that mindset of a startup for yourself, where you're trying to grow, develop, um, but also use sort of skillful communication that's come through, and that sort of skillful intervention in terms of either nurturing the people who perhaps don't have a voice, have a say, because that's the fuel for, for transformation, change, and, and amazing things yeah. and dreams, as you talked about. Thank you ever so much for your time. Please do check out the other podcasts on iTunes, Acast and SoundCloud and our webpage too, which gives you more details of transformation.